Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Thursday, August 17th. Clemson football is calling it a wrap on August camp today, but still an enormous amount of coverage and storylines to get to moving into the weekend and next week and beyond. And also, those of you who subscribe to TigerIllustrated.com know we've been keeping you all abreast of all the major developments really concerning realignment, Clemson's place in it, Clemson's confidence that it's going to end up in a great spot eventually. Got a feeling this topic is not going to die down during football season. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, to our interview with former Clemson President Jim Barker. The guy has a lot of institutional knowledge about a lot of this realignment stuff. Very interesting stuff. Here we go. Okay, joined once again by former Clemson University President Jim Barker. How you doing, sir? Doing very well. I hope you're doing well, too. I am, and uh, I guess when we talked over the phone earlier this week, we were joking about uh, the little uh, breakfast group y'all have on Wednesdays. Called the, is it called the Circle of Wisdom? Is that is that the official that, name? I, I think that's the official name, yes. I've yet to see any wisdom, but <laughs> we've got... There's a circle involved, but not no. <laughs> Maybe a circle of pancakes. <laughs> French toast, I think. I have to share this story uh, involving uh, my father-in-law, who uh, moved to the area. Uh, my parents-in-law moved to the area, I guess, two years ago. And uh, some members of of your group have been enormously welcoming and and friendly, and uh, have have included him in that in that breakfast. And then the first time that you came and sat down, like in his defense, he had no way of knowing who you were, you know, because he didn't, you know, he hadn't been around here. He was in Virginia 
previous to that and hadn't paid a whole lot of attention to Clemson administrative stuff. And so I assume that you were introduced to him as Jim Barker. And then I guess a few minutes later, he turns to you and says, so what exactly did you do at Clemson? <laughs> Great story. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was fun. Um, and doing that, there's really, you're like, you're right. He had no way of knowing that. And I, I was, it's kind of nice that he wasn't aware of it. Uh, so that, that was good. Okay. Uh, there's, uh, no mistaking of, of, of what there is to talk about, uh, here, uh, in the wake of yet more, uh, realignment seismic activity, I guess, out there uh, recently and a lot of uncertainty moving forward. <clears throat> and I just, I can't help but think back to the conversation we had two years ago, um, in the wake of, of, of the news that, that Oklahoma and Texas were, were headed to the, to the SEC and something you said at that time regarding the ACC and what you were hoping for, uh, it really um, uh, jumps out now in the wake of, in the midst of current events. And you said at that time, uh, I'm amazed that we don't use these moments in time. And you're speaking for the AC, not speaking for as in working for the ACC, because you, you, you haven't, you're not in that capacity anymore, but you're speaking just in terms of a Clemson supporter and an ACC supporter. I'm amazed that we don't use these moments in time to open up possibilities that are not just baby steps, but huge steps. And then you proposed the idea of the American Coast Conference, um, merging the Atlantic, merging the ACC and the Pac-12. And you even said, hey, we could call it the American Coast Conference and break it up into the Pacific Division and the Coastal Division. And you said you begin to get into the driver's seat as opposed to just responding to something that somebody else is doing. I hope someone in the ACC is thinking really boldly about conferences instead of one or two changes. We need to think boldly and not conventionally. And so I use that as an entry into, into where we are now, two years later. What are your thoughts on all this? Well, I, um, two years gone past and a little bit more time to think about these things and watch some of the moves that have been made. Um, I, one of the boldest things I'm sure we could do, and I, I have no idea exactly how this would work, but it almost seems to me we need to start all over again. We almost need to, um, to just say, isn't is, is there a way that we could, could look at all the schools that, uh, that have been, a, are currently a part of conferences that we compete against and see if there's not just a way of beginning from scratch, because it is. So, the, the, but the problem is there isn't anybody in charge. And until we can have some of that, I'm I'm not sure we can have the the kind of reasoned planning and reasoned uh, creation uh, of a better system than the one we have now, because there are so many different. Um, reasons to be concerned about where we stand now and i'm not just talking about my alma mater here i'm I'm talking about you know all the schools that that compete um but i don't know who would make that decision and how it would be structured so i'm still doing some 
thinking about that, but it's almost as if um, we're not going to be able to have any real uh, stability or any real um, or any real high quality uh, of, of the work that we want um, conferences to do or universities to do, and particularly speaking of athletics. Um, so, you know, that uh, the idea that we might begin all over again is creeping into my mind, but I don't have a, a second step to what actually makes that happen because I don't know who would make that decision and how it would actually work. Yeah, but I can't help but believe we could come up with something better than what we've got. Yeah, I, I don't see how you can't be pessimistic about uh, methodically, logically, and sort of fairly hashing all this stuff out in a way that, <clears throat> excuse me, in a way that makes sense. Some, you know, like we, with the most recent events, it's, um, oh, wow, you have, you know, Oregon and, and Washington that are going to be making these massive cross-country trips. And, and really, the sports that affects the most is not football. It's, right. the, it's the minor sports. And, right. and then you start talking about the prospect of ACC expansion and grabbing Stanford and Cal and maybe SMU, which I think is dead, but... So that topic comes up again, like, holy smokes, how is this going to happen logistically? And it feels like <laughs> what should happen or what should have happened, The one of the logical answers is, okay, you keep conference, the traditional conference framework for every sport but football, perhaps, and that leads to more rational and logical and fewer headaches with all the travel uh, all all the, uh, the the travel parts of it and then football breaks away but it's almost like we're going about it the wrong we have the wrong sequence i guess if that makes sense we're destroying the conferences the the traditional framework and then we're going to say oh well, now we need to figure out how to handle this with the minor with all the other sports and it'll be feels like it'll almost be too late yeah, that that, and I, I'll tell you the other thing, Larry, that I would, um, that I that I would put at the top of the the list of, of how to how to how to begin this this total sort of reinvention of college athletics is that there is always a, a statement about the importance of student athletes, but there is never a move made to better. Um, to improve uh, the student-athlete experience and uh, the student-athlete um, contributions that are being made. I, it's always a token statement, but if you were to start from scratch and let that be the objective, then I think we could come up with a better, a better, um, a better situation than the one we have now because it, it, the idea of what student athletes would be going through if we don't get this under control is just, and it's taken it's taken back seat in, in all these decisions. It, it um, and and so what you get is a sort of hypocrisy, and that's uh, and that's a shame because I, I think it is it is possible to begin with and have the basis for decision making, 
would be student athletes. And I don't mean just athletes. I mean <laughs> student athletes. Yeah, and it seems like all these monumental sort of once in a century changes are all happening at once. And so with, I mean, football itself has its own monstrous issues in the areas of NIL, in the area of the transfer portal, in the area of we are on a fast track to revenue sharing with the players um, whether you disagree with that or not, we, that's where we're headed because the, the the law has spoken in the form of the Supreme Court, basically just totally obliterating any notion of amateurism. And so you have that by itself, just with mainly college football. Um, and they need a, a leader, a czar or whatever to, to figure out their season framework and to figure out their championships and all that uh, and, and rules on, on, you know, some sort of standardized uh, rules on, or, or guardrails, whatever you want to call it on the portal and on NIL and, and all that, wherever that's headed. And so that's happening. And now, Oh, by the way, we need somebody in charge of the whole thing <laughs> to look out for the interests of, of the other sports. And I'm sorry, I don't, I maybe I'm being too pessimistic, but after the whole, uh, you know, the trying to figure out whether to play or whether not to during COVID and and extending to now, it just seems like every man for himself. There's a survivalist, a natural survivalist sort of mindset of we got to look look out for for our own, and then inter- also introduce the TV element where it feels like in we're quickly headed to a a, 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 a landscape of it's not the SEC and Big Ten anymore. It's the Fox Conference and the yeah. ESPN Conference. Really? Yeah, yeah. and, and I, I really do think that the changes have been made um, as it relates to NIL and, and a number of other things is on the athlete part of student-athlete. But if you if you begin with the base being um, student, and and then you know those decisions have been made, and I think they've got some advantages and disadvantages. The the decisions have been made, but I don't think any of them are on the student side of student athlete. They're 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 taking the athlete and making that person more and more uh, based on a model that the NFL has, and not. Um, on what universities are supposed to be about. So, you know, one path it could take, I suppose, is the baseball in, in, which, in which the, the student, um, in, in which the, the, the Major League Baseball has its own farm system. Um, and that's another thing that's been discussed, I know, but I'm not sure that that's necessarily the right answer either. But it would be, um, it, it, such a complicated situation that's evolved. It almost needs a it needs a, a freeze till we can come up with something better than what we have now. The education, you know, the student part of the student athlete uh, terminology, is ridiculed 
more than ever um, by media, you know, media types, by fans, by a lot of folks just in the, the tip, in the, in the conversation. Um, And part of that I get in that the entire enterprise seems more fueled by money than ever. And there's the obvious hypocrisy, which you, you've already noted about, hey, they say we want to do this. You know, our main goal is looking out for our student athletes, and that just does not, um, no. the, the action does not, does not, uh, is not proportional to the, to the aspiration, I guess. But still, there is the unquestionable fact in my mind that education is still very much important. Um, you know, 97% or whatever of these kids, football playing kids, let alone all the other sports, aren't going to go play professionally. And so getting that degree is is still a big deal. But yet it seems like we've quickly just entered this world of widespread cynicism about the entire academic endeavor as if it's just basically a sham. Do you feel that too? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I can't help but see that pathway is increasing in, to that end um, every, every, every morning. And there's something new that implies that that's the direction that we're, we're headed in. But if there is, why are we letting 3% drive the 100%? Right. Why, why are we not talking about the 97% and building from there as opposed to letting it all come from the 3%? That, that makes no sense to me. And I think that that's, um, that's, that's something we can do something about. Um, so I, I think if we say we start with this thing fresh, and and envision it in two different categories. I wonder what we would come up with: the three percent and the ninety-seven percent. And and as a result of that, then we might begin to get back to some sort of sane or get to maybe we've never been in a sane territory, but we certainly uh, in, in territory now that seems further and further away from that. What do you blame for? the the present state of things regarding NIL and the transfer portal maybe not maybe blame is not the word but i mean do you agree that gosh if the NCAA would have just been a little more forward thinking 15 20 years ago and not um been so fixated on okay if a recruit gets an extra skittle or m&m on a recruiting visit then we gotta punish them for that had they not been so anal i guess about all that type of thing then and and maybe been more progressive and forward thinking in terms of hey this is becoming a big business we cannot get away from that so therefore maybe we should start to to honor things like, hey, uh, cost of attendance and, you know, allowing kids to get free laptops, you know, educational-related 
expenses and maybe, hey, even profiting off of their jersey sales when, say, a Sammy Watkins sees, you know, 3,000 number two jerseys in the stands every Saturday. Do you do you put the blame on the shoulders of just the sort of backwardness of the NCAA and just being fixated on all those things that kind of just seem ridiculous now in hindsight? I think there's plenty of room for plenty of blame in, in every direction. I don't think we can point just to that. But I do believe that leadership at the NCAA is, um, is a key, and maybe it's a key to the future I'm trying to envision. I, I don't know, but I don't, I don't know that we get – I don't know we ever get very very far in improving something when we point fingers um, so I, I think there's there's lots of blame for lots of people and positions and so on, but I don't know that that does very much good um, in the in the environment that we're in now. If we're going to try to really make a difference and and developing something that that can actually work. Do you look at like Dabo has been pretty vocal about? The, the transfer portal and you know, the, the ability to just transfer at the drop of a hat, you know, when things go bad or the, the ability to transfer in general, he's been pretty vocal about the negative effects that is going to have on graduation rates. And I think he's a hundred percent right. Um, Cause if you suddenly have a flood of uh, people, tra- a flood of athletes transferring, which we certainly have had, in the last couple of years, then the chances of th- those athletes ultimately earning a degree go down, I would think significantly, number one, because of all the progress toward degree requirements that you typically have to have when you go to another school. Uh, and then just the general nature of that, when you're sort of a, that type of transient type of existence, it, it, it makes it much less likely, I think, than likely that you're going to get a degree. And so the raw numbers, I guess, is what he says. The raw He predicts that the once we do have the numbers of graduation, uh, you know, a full sample size of graduation rates, that it's going to deliver a really, really big hit to that. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think that's very likely. I think Dabo's right in that. And, uh, you know, for for someone, if we're using a model, and I don't, um, I, I'm very biased about this, but um, for someone using a model of the student athlete as being the that should be the driver, and what we what we have in this new world, where I'm I'm, I'm suggesting we we build, um, th- there's nobody that that understands that better than Dabo Sweeney. I mean, he he. That environment that he's created, that uh, that culture, if you would, um, and and the true goal of a student athlete, and he's just talking about football players who we have a, a better chance, I guess, than other other sports to uh, to make a living uh, after they graduate in that sport. Um, but I I think that. The idea. Let me give you an example of how complicated this actually gets. We, the in the, the NIL and the transfer portal were done 
to the benefit, supposedly, to the benefit of student-athletes. Now, that was, that was supposed to be what that was about. But, in fact, if you stop to think about it before you do it, you begin to realize that's not really going to be a benefit to a student-athlete because their goal should be graduation from college. Build the whole thing around that um, because that's the way um, you really honor a student-athlete, not by giving more flexibility, but... The, the goal ought to be a graduation in a stated period of time for those people who are uh, student athletes. So I think we we got into part of this mess that we're in now with the idea that we were helping student athletes. Uh, but I, I think if we'd looked a little deeper, we might have understood that that was really not the the goal the goal was to put some money in people's pockets and not necessarily temporarily and not necessarily giving them a lifelong um a lifelong opportunity for um income that they wouldn't have if they didn't go to a university so we got to look at each one of those things carefully and saying wait that that, that sounds pretty good but let's go one step deeper you think it'll have this will have an effect on graduation rates well, it might. Let's do, let's do a little homework on this. So the, the, the idea of um, how this started and what the, the surface looked like was never really occupied in the right way of what, the, if you look deeper, lower than the surface, you might come to a different conclusion. Matter of fact, I'm sure, I'm sure you would come to a different conclusion. Dabo said last week, that for each of his scholarship football players, Clemson devotes $150,000 a year to their entire experience as far as scholarship, education, everything. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of value. Um, and of course, it's not uh, for, for a, you know, if you look 20 years down the road for somebody who uses his or her degree to get a good job, the value is not <laughs> what you paid for it or, or what, what it was worth at the time. The value is 50 times that because of what you turn right. that into over your career. So in your mind, are, and I, I, this is, I guess this is kind of a loaded leading the witness kind of question, but I, I'll admit that because I, it, my opinion is, is, is that uh, all that gets is basically ignored uh, in the in the typical conversation that we've talked about, sort of the national conversation about this. You, you agree with that? That that's just sort of not really acknowledged a whole lot. And so when he says something like that, it's like, oh, I didn't know that. You know? Yeah, I think it is. I think I think there were. There's so many different players here. We've got Congress. We've got what's left of the NCAA. We've got football coaches. We've got conference um, uh, commissioners. Um, and each of, each of them has a perspective. Uh, and I don't know wh which one has exactly the right perspective, but um, I, I, really, I really think that... Um, we got off track here, and we weren't listening to the right 
uh, folks and we weren't um, truly putting student athletes, the, the lifetime of a student athlete, not, not just while they're in college or not just the next 10 years after that, I'm really talking about their entire careers. What is the best way of measuring being true and honorable to that person over that period of time uh, and if we did that that way, and not and not just as you said for football players, but for the ninety-seven percent of those people um, who who are student athletes, then um, I, I've, I think we got off track right there. That's where we got off track, and whether we could ever put it back and start again, I don't know exactly how that works. But I don't think we could come up with anything worse than what we've got right now. At the risk of turning this into a celebration of Dabo and his championing of academics and all that, I have to point out that, you know, he views a scholarship offer or a scholarship itself when you come to Clemson, when you sign with Clemson, that that Clemson, ha- he and Clemson, they have a lifetime commitment to you. And it's not just this transactional four to five year deal where it's just, okay, you play football and then see you later. That was really hammered home to me recently when I got to visit with James Davis, uh, who has recently come back to be a student assistant and to finish out his degree. He wants to be a football coach, I guess, and maybe take the same path as CJ Spiller. But I've talked to, I had talked to James periodically for years uh, and he had each time he had told me, yeah, Dabo's working on me. He, he's, he's, he's just stays on me. Like, what are you waiting on? You need to come back and finish your degree. And finally, I guess last May, James was back in town and he said, Dabo pulled him into a room and said, what are you waiting on? You know, I, I come back, you know, now's the time do it now. That that really says I, I think that speak speaks volumes because Dabo doesn't have any personal like a vested interest in somebody who played when Dabo wasn't even the head coach or I guess he was the head coach for a couple of those years coming back and getting his degree I mean he the only conclusion is that he truly cares about those former players finishing out their education. And that he truly does view it as a lifetime relationship and obligation that extends far beyond what happens between the lines every Saturday. When a, when a football coach and a football player um, make a pledge to each other, then um, that means it's, it's, it should mean that it's good for life. And um, not everybody goes at the same pace or has the right circumstances, but if you have that as as part of that commitment that there's no time limit on it, then, um, then you can come up with some awfully good, um, results. And, uh, I think that's something that Clemson should be very proud of. And, and, uh, that graduation rate is not the least important thing or a token thing. It should be the most important thing because we got 97 to three, right? That's so, right. Yep. <laughs> so imagine that as a football game. I want to be, I want to be building around the 97%. I came across some interesting uh, poll statistics from a, a Gallup 
education poll that was done, I guess, within the last couple of years. Um, and they polled not just former NCAA student athletes, but also non-athletes. Right. And so there were three really interesting numbers. The first was the percentage of NCAA student athletes who graduated from 1990 to 2019 and who say they are thriving at the highest levels. 24% student athletes compared to 19% non-former athletes. The next was the percentage of NCAA student athletes who strongly agree that their professors cared about them as a person compared with non-athletes. 35% student athletes, 28% non-athletes. And then the third and final, the percentage of NCAA student athletes who earn an advanced degree compared with non-athletes. It was 39% athletes, 32% non-athletes. Um, seems like kind of a important <laughs> trend there. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I, I haven't heard those numbers, but that, that's impressive when you, as you think about what, you know, what the subject that you brought up is here. Upstate foodies. Want to take a moment to talk to you about our favorite taco spot, Willie Taco. Five locations across the upstate. This award-winning team has been serving up fresh taco fusion for a solid decade now. The chefs at Willie Taco utilize the freshest, most creative, and sometimes unexpected ingredients in their kitchens. Come see why Southern Living, Garden and Gun, and Food and Wine Magazine are raving about Willie Taco and their signature offerings, such as their Southern Tide, Crispy Avocado, Nashville Hot Chicken Tacos, literally flavors you will not find anywhere else, folks. And don't forget about the cocktails, super fresh margaritas, ice cold cerveza, and over 80 tequilas served up daily from behind the bar. So don't wait, folks. Your Willy Taco Familia is ready to serve you up their twist on funky fresh fusion. It's the Willy Way. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate state law, Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Its office is located beside the Walmart Neighborhood Market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Okay, can we go back? Um, I'm actually planning on interviewing former North Carolina President Holden Thorpe next week. Mm-hmm. And a big part of what I'd like to do is just sort of excavate some of the history um, some of the key decisions uh, when 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 you two were were in positions of power and and influence. Uh, obviously, y'all aren't involved now, but I think we can educate ourselves and sort of be informed more on the present when we learn about how things went down in the past. So, can we start with the additions of Pitt and Syracuse in ele- in two thousand the summer of eleven? And maybe just give a picture of just what that summer was like, because I remember 
I can't remember if, it, if the first crazy summer was 2010 or whether it was 2011, but it was like realignment hysteria <laughs> every summer, it seemed like, for like three straight years back then. So can we kind of paint the picture of what that was like uh, and, and what the setting felt like in your mind back then? I may have said this to you the last time we were talking, but what it was like was the initials ACC stood for another conference call. (laughs) And that um, there was a a remarkable level of communication going on between boards and their presidents, uh, presidents with other presidents, presidents with the uh, other um, uh, conference officials, um, it, it was, um, it was just a little unprecedented from, from my total experience. It was really quite remarkable. And, uh, I happened to be, um, in my term as, as, uh, chairman of the president's group during that time. And so it made it even more challenging, um, to try to make some sense of, of what was actually unfolding. And I, I, I know, or I don't know, I guess that the situation in, over the last few months currently had some of the same challenges um, as to what's going on now, but the process may have evolved and changed and certainly different different people in different positions at, at that time. But it was, um, it was really important. Um, and I, let me just mention a couple of things that, uh, developed that most people aren't aware of uh, in the same way they, they, they might should be. When um, the discussion of realignment came up, um, there was a lot of, of conversation with the university presidents about, well, what would this do academically? How, how would this actually work academically? And so there was a danger, in some ways, of that being superficial, too. So we, we, we had a, a chance to really talk about, even though the decisions were being made pretty quickly, um, we decided that we would put a special emphasis, once we got uh, those decisions made, in which there would be an academic component uh, of all this, and it was under the name of the welfare of student athletes too. Um, but let me tell you a couple of things that evolved from that. Now I do not know what the status of these programs are now, but this is what evolved uh, very shortly after the last round of realignment. Uh, the first step was to put the um, the uh, chief financial officers together in the same room and decide whether it was possible to do purchasing in such a large group that we could probably control the cost of what we were buying, all universities were buying, in a way that we'd never done before. Um, we looked at study abroad programs that each uh, institution had and suggested that those um, opportunities for students could be uh, considered um, for ACC, not just those uh, individual um, school abroad programs. Um, there would be exchanges at the graduate level where um, 
students could have on their their uh, their thesis group and their um, PhD group faculty from other institutions that were were a part of the ACC uh, on the committees. Um, the student body presidents had conferences together, and uh, I think I'm right in this. They actually did some lobbying in Washington together over things that they found that to be important, and they had much better and louder and stronger voice when all those student body presidents uh, did that that lobbying together. So that's just a uh, just a uh, my memory of of how um, things evolved, and the opportunities shifted and the thinking shifted at that time too, which um, was certainly an effort. Um, to, to make good on the idea that it had the possibility of a, a much broader impact on uh, financial officers, chief financial officers, on study abroad, on um, graduate students and their committees, uh, on student body presidents. So I, I think that would be something that um, um, was behind all that dust that people might have been aware of. But there were some really important and significant things that developed from that, as well as the football schedules. So it was the summer of 11 before the ACC added Pittsburgh and Syracuse, or announced they were adding Pittsburgh and Syracuse. Was that the summer of uh, the Big 12 was supposedly about to disintegrate because the Pac-12 was going to come take Texas and Oklahoma and a bunch of other is that what you remember sort of paving the way for the ACC making its own moves? Yeah, well, the, the ACC is, is responsible for some of this uh, ourselves because um, in, um, we, we were raiding the Big Ten. I mean, excuse me, the um, Big East. Yeah, the Big East. We were, we were raiding them in the same way you know, we, in some ways, we started all that, um, and so I think the um, the the how this unfolded, and and I think you got the dates right. The 2004 was Virginia Tech in Miami, and 2005 was Boston College, and then it was quiet for a little while there, and uh, in which we. Um, then added Syracuse and Pitt, and then right about that time, Maryland left in 2012, and and the agreement with Notre Dame came in 2012, and then we added Louisville uh, at the same time. So that that was um, we were very much players in all that, and very much concerned that we were going to lose um, more uh ACC members to other conferences uh, about that same time as well. You're talking about uh 2011 that that period. 2011 through about in 2012, yeah. And the and the agreement with Notre Dame was reached uh in that same time frame. What uh can you elaborate on the fear of losing schools to other conferences? I know that there was lots of chatter about some ACC schools, including Florida State, maybe including Clemson, going to the Big 12? Well, it, I can tell you that it was never seriously considered um, at, at Clemson, but there were some conversations taking place, yes, uh, at that time. And 
and I have no idea if this is the kind of thing that um, might be developing currently. Um, the president at Florida State and I had a, a special um, commitment to each other that basically we would make no decisions, and at, at the same time they told their boards of what might be developing uh, that we would tell each other. So we had a bond with Florida State uh, at that time, which um, I felt very comfortable with, and it was one that uh, both of us honored throughout that stage. Um, because I think we began to realize how, how connected our futures might be. And, uh, and um, that, that was a, um, that was a, de a decision that um, uh, I think, I think was well worth it. And it, it, um, uh, it does show in some ways in terms of athletics uh, that there's a link between the two schools. I think that link is uh, as strong as ever right now, from what I've heard. Yeah. Um, I hope so. I, I, and I, I think it, it shouldn't necessarily be everybody pledged to everybody, um, but but I, I think it's got to be some uh, openness about all of this or it can really get out of hand. And uh, I know that every time the phone rang and I, I would see it was um, – uh, President Weatherall and I wondered, oh my goodness, wonder what this is. <laughs> and they, I, we later confided that he felt the same way about his phone ringing, about that if he saw it was yeah. me. Just out of curiosity, during your uh, 14 years as president, did any other conference ever pursue Clemson, ever? Um, try to initiate something not saying like an invite i'm just saying hey we might be interested Did, were there ever any any correspondence in that direction whether from the big 12 or the sec if it's okay with you i don't think i'm gonna answer that one okay sure i'm not sure what what good that would would serve because we're in a different time and a different environment now okay um you know that one of the fascinating things about the recent ACC exploration of adding uh, Stanford and Cal and SMU is that the uh, sort of internal debate um, was, it kind of became public in terms of the split. Uh, you know, we, we wrote about which teams, which schools were against it, including Clemson, Florida State, we wrote about, and others wrote about who was strongly for it. We also wrote that Notre Dame was strongly for it and really pushing for it. That's something that, that, um, that type of, uh, insight isn't, isn't something that, that gets out a whole lot. So I'm curious, thinking back to the additions of Pitt and Syracuse, Certainly not everybody's in lockstep about every decision. And I remember after that announcement was made, I think it was the day of the Auburn game in 2011. And I remember talking to a trustee at the time who said, yeah, well, as long as the next move we make in the ACC is, is football, has, you know, football interests behind it. So it was basically very lukewarm response to those Additions. I'm curious what Clemson's sort of stance on it was was then, and whether it was indeed 
kind of a lukewarm uh, view of those two additions? No, I don't remember anything uh, that would would rank uh, one of, or the other above the, in those decisions. It was pretty much a united um, a united effort on the part part of everybody, pretty much feeling the same way. I, I think um, I, I would say that the Notre Dame discussions was a little bit. Um, uh, you know what? What exactly were they committing to? Um, so we worked pretty hard on on that one, um, and the timing of that was was important as we were looking at um, having an opportunity for them to join us. And um, that that decision, I think, uh, was one that uh, was probably discussed more than than any others there. But I don't I don't remember. Um, sort of ranking which of those was most important to Clemson. I think they, they were all uh, important steps. Um, and they, as I, as I told you, they brought a great, each of those schools brought a great deal to the concept of um, alignment uh, of academics as well. And that, that was, that, that turned out to be important for an awful lot of schools. They, the big, the big East just didn't have that kind of collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I won't tell you which president told me this, but one of them said we just used to throwing rocks at each other, <laughs> <laughs> and we don't know how to behave in, a, in an environment like what y'all were proposing. So it was uh, they they were very positive about what that change might mean to them. In September of twelve was when the announcement of Notre Dame coming aboard happened, and I think. Maybe a couple months before that, we, I think we might have made you and others in the administration unhappy when we reported that you and, I guess, Notre Dame's president and Wake Forest president were meeting in Winston-Salem. My point is that was a very, very tight, tightly guarded occurrence. I'm curious if I can get your uh, recollection of just how um, how tightly guarded that was and how sensitive it was and how you y'all went about sort of courting Notre Dame. And as you mentioned, y'all spent so much time on it. I just, I figure I, I, I have to ask for your recollections of that, given that you were such a, a key figure in that. Um, yeah, I, I think Notre Dame uh, was at that time, and it still is, uh, a very important piece to the ACC uh, conference, and um, and I think that's that's proven to be uh, be true. And we knew that um, make, getting to that decision by both the conference and by Notre Dame. Um, what was was important, very important to to all those concerns. So yeah, I think it was. We didn't need any um, extra pressure or thoughts to, if we wanted to have a, a truly um, open and uh, what I mean open between just between the schools uh, in that. But it, it was uh, it was an important step for us, and I think it remains an important step. And I I hope that uh, as as Notre Dame 
sorts through its future if there is a conference alignment that they would give uh, first opportunity to the ACC. Okay, so I mentioned this earlier. People are still... Excuse me, let me interrupt you. I I also think that the the idea that they have a fixed number, which I think is five games a year, um, committed to uh, uh, ACC schools... Um, and, and, uh, I think that's all that's been honored. And I think that was a, a good move on, on, on their part and our part. If I told you, John Swafford, and I guess the, a couple of the other major players in that, uh, on the ACC's end, if I told you, you all back in 2012, when this thing was announced that as of August 23, their Notre Dame would still not be full time in the conference and would still be, uh, a, a, you know, a, a part of the five, only five game agreement. Would you have been, let's see, I don't know if surprised, maybe would you have been A, surprised, B, disappointed, C, um, yeah, that's about what I expect. I think that latter. Really? C? Mm-hmm. Okay. I I didn't see anything that would indicate that there were any significant changes. I do think that each step in the realignment must cause them to stop and think about um, their future. And I think they're continuing to do that. Um, But I I didn't think anything would be happening quickly there. Uh, But every time there's a, a new movement, I'm sure there's some thoughts that go through as as I understood it, the the reason why Notre Dame is um, very careful about uh, those decisions is they built their whole university and their national uh, under their national reputation um, uh, around a school that is is uh, the way they are the way they have have seen. They, they've, from the very beginning, saw themselves as being very successful in both academics and athletics, and that they needed to be a nationwide institution that wasn't seen just as regionally significant. And playing teams from all over the country was an important part of their their academic plan. It was from the beginning, and it was certainly then, and I think it's still now, and that for them to narrow their playing field, if you would, too narrowly, they would they worried that they would be transforming that original concept into something else. So I think it's that that time will be. Um, we we did. I didn't expect anything quickly uh, from Notre Dame, but. Um, I'm sure each step that's taken, there, there are some discussions that are taking place there about what does this actually mean to that original idea that we had. Does it change it? Does it change it enough to reconsider what we have? Um, and I, I have no way of judging that because that was that was interesting to me that that, that was why they are built the way they do. They are, um, and what role uh, football plays in their. Um, in their mission as a as an institution, various folks that 
I've talked to who are in position to have a fairly good grasp of it say the Notre Dame ship has sailed on I mean it ain't happening on them joining the conference fully you think that's still still possible well yeah I mean I, I do I, I don't but I think it would require enough changes to where that would that decision that they might make would um, strengthen their role as an institution with the two with two um, uh, major responsibilities, and I'm here. I'm talking about football and, and academics. So I, I think that um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I have no way of knowing this, but whether it's gotten closer or further apart, I don't know. I, I don't know that it's further apart. Mm-hmm. I, I would probably say no on that, but I don't know that it's moved in any substantive way in the other direction. Do you think the ACC missed an opportunity in 2020? when Notre Dame basically didn't have a schedule and the ACC extended them a lifeline to be a full member for that year. And it was a very prosperous year for Notre Dame because they end up going to the playoff. Um, yeah. Uh, thanks largely to the ACC's assistance. Do you think the ACC missed an opportunity when it had a lot of leverage? There, there are too many subtle things that I'm as part of that decision that I'm unaware of. I mm-hmm. just my instinct tells me there's a lot more to that than that, mm-hmm. and um, so I don't really have, don't feel like I'm in a good position to judge that. Um, from what all I can gather, though, that um, uh, that one decision was uh, was unprecedented. Uh, in the history of the conference, and if it if it revealed um, what Notre Dame's uh, approach would would be today uh, or not, I, I don't know. I don't think it harmed in any way that relationship. Um, and what, but whether it was was wise to go that far in that direction, uh, there's too there are too many missing parts for me to be able to judge that. Uh, last week, the fact that Notre Dame is a full is a had a full vote on the topic of of expansion. Uh, um, I don't think many people knew were aware of that before, and people are dumbfounded, um, uh, irate. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Pick your pick your term, but all all across the board, I'm just disappointed that that's a part of the deal. Given that Notre Dame is part time in football and that they have such influence on a decision that is driven largely by football, do you understand the heartburn over that and the questions about that? And and what is your what is your opinion on it? I absolutely do, absolutely do understand the, uh, the heartburn about that, um, but I, but I also see that they, they their influence was only um, not greater than any other one school. So it's in some ways you're either a part of the conference or you're not, and um, and I think the 
that that was a show that they were in fact truly a part of the conference. But um, yeah, but I do understand how that might be viewed. I guess it is viewed as something they had more uh, more substance in the conference than they should have. And it, and also, my belief is that it borders on conflict of interest um, because you have Notre Dame has its own seat at the college football playoff table in terms of uh, establishing the framework. It was Greg Sankey, um, Big Ten, um, Pac-12, Mountain West, Notre Dame. They have their own, it's as if they're their own conference. Then you have their AD, Swarbrick, publicly saying, yeah, the SEC and the Big Ten are just way ahead of everybody else, and everybody else is playing third fiddle. And not that that's not true, <laughs> but I don't hear any other ACC administrators well, I guess you do in Florida State. Uh, so <laughs> I have to <laughs> have to acknowledge that. But also, it is, you know, their relationship with the Big Ten is kind of. You know, there are a lot of people who 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 believe that if they do join a conference, eventually it'll be the Big Ten. And so, do you do you agree that that could be interpreted or viewed as a almost or an actual conflict of interest when Notre Dame is allowed to have a full vote on, on the addition. And I haven't even mentioned their relationship with Stanford. You know, they, they Stanford's on their schedule, you know, they want to look out for Stanford. And so I, I've said a lot. I'm just, I'm just wondering what your take on that as a, as a possible conflict of interest for on Notre Dame, just to have them as a full, uh, having a full vote on that matter. Well, I do think that Notre Dame is, is viewed as both by its own self and by others uh, around the country as being in a different uh, position, and uh, I'm not. I'm not going to say that I like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not a Clemson alum uh, at heart. Can say that seems fair to me. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't seem right. Um, but they they have um, maneuvered themselves into that position. And it is being sustained in a lot of different experiences like you're talking about there. So that, I guess that's, that's, that's what it is. One of the more important news items uh, of the last couple of weeks has been that the revelation that the ACC, even before, well before uh, the most recent realignment news of, of the Pac-12 basically getting getting strafed by the Big Ten and the and the Big Twelve that the ACC had had spent a lot of time examining the idea of of doing what you sort of were getting at two years ago, adding a significant number of schools from the from the Pac twelve. It really makes me wonder, you know, as you're talking about Okay, we need to. The ACC needs to think big and boldly, and not just a small step. There's a key piece of, there's a key part, a potentially key part of this is what we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do we know? Like, even with Texas and Oklahoma, for all we, for all we know, the ACC did think big and did try to get those two. You know what I'm saying? Or just maybe just Texas. Like, we don't read about 
the swings for the fences that whiffed, right? Like that's not out there. And so what do you think of that? Do you think that it's possible that the ACC has tried to think big and that just by virtue of their sort of lack of standing and, you know, relative to the big 10 and the SEC, they just haven't been able to close the deal. Well, I, I think I'd just be speculating in that regard. Uh, but I, but I, I could say um, back um, in the time frame we're talking about several years ago, there were some um, serious discussions taking place uh, that didn't unfold, but um uh, and there, there's some others that, um, I mean, like like what we're seeing now. There's some conversations that took place, but nothing happened. So um, if you don't, if you're not uh, doing that and keeping the channel of communications open to a number of schools, that's the most serious mistake you can make. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to do it, and that doesn't mean the other school has to do it. But those conversations need to continue to develop. But I think that what we'd be doing, I can't help but go back to the original thought. We're just, you know, moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, we need to be thinking much bolder. And and again, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, I think we need to start from scratch and see what we can put together in all in all the universities across the country. We're we're. We're building something we're going to be very sorry that we, we've built, and we won't know how to change it if we go too much further down this road. Was Texas one of the schools that was in the mix back at some point? I don't, I don't know that I need to be specific. <laughs> I'm not sure what good that would do. It'd do a lot of good for me. <laughs> <laughs> what is your, of course, the grant of rights has become a highly controversial topic. It's become a highly uh, difficult thing for schools that are thinking about perhaps trying to leave the conference. What I always like to do is put myself back at the time the decision was made. Um, At the time, it wasn't controversial at all. Um, Speaking of 2016, I think there were two schools who who were sort of hard to Convince, but they eventually came along, came around. That was Florida State and Virginia. But what is your opinion of a twenty-year agreement um, that was signed in sixteen? That it has become a really big issue over the last seven years. Uh, let me answer that question by asking you a question. Sure. Do you believe that Clemson would have won a national championship in 2016 and 2018 if we had been in a different conference than the ACC? First of all, I'm not sure Clemson would have been able to go to a different conference. Because um, I don't, I, my recollection is at that time, that was a quiet period and that everybody was pretty much um, standing pat. But your question. I don't know. I mean, it depends on what you, I mean, theoretically the SEC, is that what you're? No, I'm just, I'm just saying, do you think that our conference affiliation in that time frame had anything to do or anything directly to do with our success and, and which resulted in two national championships? I think those were two all time great teams that, you know, clearly wouldn't have taken a backseat to anybody regardless of what conference they were in. 
What do you, does that answer your question? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's fine. I, I, I just, I think that um, we, we need to ask ourselves that question from time to time. What's your answer and, to it? Um, I think it made a big difference. The ACC. Yeah. But the teams we played getting up to that, the, the, the championships that we played, um, I think that had, um, had something to do with it. So, um, but I agree with you, those were some great teams. And, um, but when you go out to play, you have to be really good every game. And not they're not teams that do that. You're going to have some off games. So who are you playing when you have that off game, and what are your chances of beating them even though they're off? So you're saying, are you saying the the path of lesser resistance in the ACC helps, or and that it would have been harder in another conference, or are you saying that they were just battle hardened from the path that they took compared to? I, well, my, my original question is, did the, did the conference that we were in have anything to do with it? Huh. I don't, you know, actually, the 16, anybody who's, you know, I think the criticisms of the ACC's schedule strength in general are legit. <laughs> but that 16 uh, schedule was, was an exception because that was, you could argue, and I, I argued at the time, that Clemson's path was just as hard and maybe more difficult than some of the schools in the, in the, in the yeah. SEC. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's not hard to find uh, schools that are not very strong in the SEC. I mean, they're there every year, certainly. Um, so I, I, I just, I just think that's something that I've been, I've been wondering myself about. I do. Uh, I so, succeed. Yeah, I I will say this. Um, at the time that that grant of rights was signed in '16, I remember a, a trustee telling me that the conclusion is basic was basically we need to worry about dominating the ACC. And actually, I think this was in '13. This was the previous grant of rights, not the one in '16. But the first one solidified the ACC. Um, but the 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 quote was we need to worry about dominating we need to focus on dominating the ACC and everything we want will be available to us in, a, in other words there will be no ceiling which for a long time including the time frame that you just mentioned it definitely that logic held up but i think the question now moving forward is will that Will that apply? Can that apply in the future when you're looking at the possibility of being $30 million, $50 million behind your your chief competitors and then the perception-related fallout and casualties that can come in recruiting, you know, when you're viewed as being in a a conference that doesn't, you know, that doesn't even hold a candle to, to the mega conferences and the SEC and the and the Big Ten. So I guess what I'm saying is the logic that certainly was sound at the time and for a long time, it seems like it's in some serious uh question now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I would not disagree. 
But I'm, again, I was looking. I was thinking about the future by looking back to the past and what that might have taught us. Yeah. <clears throat> Is there anything we haven't covered that uh, that I've missed? I'm sure I've missed a lot. <laughs> well, well, I'm glad we we figured that all out. Aren't you? <laughs> I've got to say, I'm not optimistic about your very well conceived. Uh, idea to blow it all up and start from scratch. I think yeah. in 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 in, uh, in principle it makes a lot of sense, but boy, I don't know how it would happen. Well, how bad does it have to get before we come to that conclusion? That's a, that's a great question. Well, thank you so much for for giving us so much of your time. Um, this is always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and. Um, I will be sure to invite you back um, at the next uh, the next round of earth-shattering conference-related uh, developments. Uh, I, I enjoy talking with you, Larry, and uh, I hope that that's, um, this conversation might lead to something positive, and uh, um, we can be hopeful about that. Okay, always interesting having conversations with Jim Parker. Really good stuff there. Thank you, of course, for the support from our sponsors, including our newest, Willie Taco, for helping make this happen. And, of course, thanks to every one of you for your loyal support over the years. We are at five years. Right around now. Really cool stuff. Since we started, we've had 624,000 downloads. So, thank you. Thanks to everybody. It's been a fun run. And it's not over. We'll be back next week. Everybody have a great rest of the week and weekend. Cheers.